We are currently in a short series of messages on the importance of a multi-generational church. And today, I want to focus on the days of youth. And our scripture passage is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, in the last part of it. And then we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 12 before I close today. A multi-generational church is a church that includes each generation being ministered to appropriately based on their age and stage of life, as well as the unique needs that come along with that particular stage of life. But it's also a church that interacts with, uh, in a healthy way, uh, across generational lines, where we know one another, we serve one another, we serve together, and we carry out God's purpose for our lives and also for the church as we do that as the body of Christ And in the message, Bring the Children to Jesus, we focused on some of the current realities both in society as well as some demographics uh, that we are up against both here in our state as well as around our country. And our desire is to continue as a church family to be healthy as a multi-generational church because we have good relationships And if you were here in the last message, when I brought the last message, uh, you heard words of encouragement, especially for our older generation, that has been such a blessing uh, to have a forward-focused mentality and love and pray for and encourage and invest in the younger generations. We thank you for your faithfulness in that. I think we've also had a healthy dynamic in our younger generations uh, who have valued the older generation and we've had healthy relationships because of that. But I want us to think just for a moment, kind of to set the stage of what we're facing as it relates to young people, uh, some statistics and some additional cultural realities uh, as they connect with this particular generation. And I also want to say that as I speak today uh, on the days of youth, I am speaking specifically uh, to the younger generation, but it's not defined just by those who are in the school age range, say 12th grade and down. Uh, I'm speaking also to those those of you who are in those formative years of life in early adulthood where you're making uh, lifelong decisions about particular things that God is leading you in, whether it be education or vocation or uh, family and and all that goes along with that. And then I think it'll have a broader application to all of us uh, before I'm done uh, here this morning. The Barner Research Group says that Generation Z is the first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States. We are digressing in a way that is not in a positive direction, and statistics are a little bit hard to come by that are reliable, but uh, they show that as many as one million young people a year are walking away from the church. Those that have been raised in some type of Christian church that are walking away from it. And there was a a report called the Great Opportunity Report that looked at that vast number of people who are walking away, and they looked at it from a positive perspective. They said that it is the largest gospel opportunity in the history of America. The task before us is great to make a difference in the generation that is coming. And today, students and young people are more confused and desperate and frustrated than ever before in a lot of ways. 
Uh, we see anxiety and depression and a lot of things that are the stressors of life that go along with that that are on the rise. And we know how important it is to reach the generation because, as we noted, the vast majority of people come to faith in Jesus Christ actually before the age of 14, but certainly before the age of 18. And it is a big opportunity that God has placed in front of us to reach those who are younger. I love the way Justin Weavers put it. He said, uh, even in the midst of all of this, God is saving young people through the work of churches that care enough about the next generation to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. So we can, we can either bemoan the circumstances or we can say, Lord, you've put us here for this time and this season, and we want to make a difference in the lives of young people and make a difference in the lives of families and make a difference in uh, the life of our nation. So I want to begin reading here in Ecclesiastes 11. I'm going to read verse 7 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back to a couple of verses at the end of the message from chapter 12. Light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is futile. Rejoice, young person, while you're young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of life are fleeting." The title Ecclesiastes stems from a word meaning a person who calls an assembly. The author identifies himself as the preacher. He's generally understood to be King Solomon because he also makes a reference to himself as the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So as King Solomon, he would have written this somewhere before 931 BC. The perspective of the book is that he's looking back on life, especially the folly of his life, and he's doing so with a measure of regret. And by the lessons he's learned, he's then pointing us to what a life looks like that is lived under God's direction. Everybody looks for meaning and purpose in this world somewhere. Everyone is looking for somewhere to belong. And Solomon said, listen, I've tried all the remedies that the world has to offer in my search for meaning, and I've found them all to be futile. They are nothing but vanity. So he comes through to the other side, and he concludes that meaning is found only when we remember our Creator and we recognize the accountability that we have to Him. So in these few moments that we're together, I want to show you three wise instructions regarding the days of youth. And the first instruction is this, make the most of your life. Verse 7 and verse 8. The preacher warns that life is now. And he gives us a rather stark warning about death because we know that death is the great equalizer. Death is coming for everybody. No matter what age we are, we know that this is a reality of living in this world that we're in. And he shares a message here 
about those who are in the prime of their life. Those of you who are young and the whole world is in front of you and you are in the prime days that God has given you. And he gives us a message about the enjoyment of life. And he writes metaphorically about light and darkness as figures of life and death. Light represents the goodness of life. You remember light was the first to be made in the formation of the great world. And when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it has shone ever since. Light is sweet, and it's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. And light represents life itself. So we might say that to see the sun is to be alive. Think about a dark winter day after those dreary days have set in and they've just continued on one after the other and we've not seen very much sunlight at all or maybe none for days on end. And there's a heaviness that settles over us when we're in that situation. Then one day you get a beautiful, sunny, bright day and all of a sudden your countenance is lifted. There's an extra measure of joy that has come to your life because of the sun that is shining around you. You think about throughout the ages how people have actually been enamored with the sun, so much so that they wrongly worshipped it. And Solomon is making the point here that light and life are a comparison that we all can understand about what God has given to us. Darkness on the flip side represents the trials of this life and then ultimately death. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 88 in verse 12. Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? Now I think there's some wonderful clarity here. And the reason I say that there's some wonderful clarity here is because it's a realistic view of life about the joy of the good things as well as the serious nature of the sorrowful things. And the reality that he's presenting to us is that we will experience many dark days in a sin-fallen world. And knowing this, we ought to enjoy life as much as we can while we're in the prime of it. And he tells us that it's, it is good to find joy in the pleasures of life. And that enjoyment is to be lifelong. So he says, rejoice in all of your years and remember the days of darkness will be many. He's saying to us the same thing that the psalmist says in praise to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, there's a word of warning here. Nowhere in this passage do we find any type of direction whatsoever toward sinful self-indulgence. But he's making the point that God has given us life and strength and youth in order to enjoy it. The legitimate pleasures of life that God has given us, those things are good and they are a blessing from the good hand of God. So therefore we're to be thankful for them and see them as the blessing that they are. So if you're in those younger years especially, I want to encourage you to be thankful for every day of your life. So often we get caught up in what's next. What's going to happen next? What goal am I going to achieve next? And of course, God designs us that way in a sense because of the progression of time. But God is saying to us in his word, don't get so caught up in the what's next 
ask the question, what's now? And there's a big difference in that. Because if you're constantly living in the what's next, you're going to lack contentment. And you're not going to see what God's doing around you in the moment. And as you live those younger years, be sure that you choose the right path to walk very carefully. Now, let's just have an honest discussion here a moment about what the world has to offer. It is very alluring. And there are many things that the world has to offer you that are pleasurable for a time. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And you can pursue things that might even be morally neutral, but if you make them the focus of your life, they become sinful for you. For example, if one of your primary pursuits is money and material things, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's what's your focus. Are they out of order? Are they not viewed in the way that God would want you to view them? And those things can bring you temporary satisfaction, but you look at the people who have the absolute most in this world. Many of them are empty, and they're not satisfied, and they don't see the blessing at hand. So enjoy what God has given you, but don't make those things your primary pursuit. And many things that are just blatantly sinful are wrong. They're pleasurable for a season. But the payoff, which is negative, is never worth the pleasure at the moment. And you've got to think it through because those things are going to draw you in. They're going to they're shape your affections. They're going to make you think that that's where real joy is to be found. And Solomon's writing on the conclusion of the whole thing. And he's saying, listen, folks, I've tried it all. Wine, women, and song. I've tried all of it to the extreme. And I want you to know that I found it lacking. And his conclusion is it was all vanity. It was all emptiness. It was all meaningless. And that's not where ultimate satisfaction is to be found. God offers all that you need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. And you can find a satisfying path if you will follow him. But I also want you to know that if you're in those younger days, the days of youth, the time is short. Now, I know it seems like the, the vista is broad. It's like so much time and so many years that are in front of you. First of all, do you know how long you're going to live? The obvious answer is no. None of us know. So, if we're living in that way and we're thinking, well, we got all the time in the world. I'm going to sow my wild oats right now. I'm going to just live as I want to right now. And then I'll do things as I should do them later as I was taught. You don't know how long you're going to live. And you're also not thinking very clearly about how short this life is. Don't waste the opportunities God has given you now. And one thing is for sure, none of us are getting any younger. We're on a progression of time. And somebody said that the seven stages of a man's life are spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and then wills. <laughs> and I'd say there's probably some reality to that. Your time is short. Psalm 39 and verse 4 and 5 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Think about that. 
He says, it's just the width of my hand. James says, it's like a vapor. And then he says, my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. And at best, each of us is but a breath. There's tremendous pressure on young people today to live up to certain ideals that the world sets. And I think that the role of parents in the influence of a strong church, in the influence of a healthy student ministry, is in part to help young people build a framework of their lives where they can find joy in who they are in God and wisdom on how to make right decisions about their life that is coming in the future. And increasingly, the culture is growing more hostile to Christianity. And the workplace that people are entering into, as you know because you're there, can be very hostile to the faith. And we have to prepare young people with the tools that they need to live for Jesus in the midst of that environment. And make the most of your life and be blessed with what God has given you today. But then there's a second instruction, and that is take life as it comes. And I want you to look now at the first half of verse 9. Rejoice, young man, while you're young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. When you're in your youth, you have the blessing of strength and vitality. And if you don't have the sense of fulfillment and joy in that, then something is missing. Because when you're young, there is a whole world of possibilities and there's a whole world of opportunities that are in front of you. And the older you get, the more responsibilities that you get and the heavier the weight of those responsibilities get. And don't waste your time now worrying about what's coming in the future, but take life as it comes. And so many young people have the pressure on them because they're thinking they've got to have it all figured out and they've got to have their plan perfectly together. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret if you're part of that younger group. Those of us who are older, we don't have it figured out either. We are figuring it out as we go. We look like we have it together sometimes, but we are learning as we're going as well. And if we can learn to take life as it comes and look for our fulfillment in God, then we can find ultimate fulfillment. So I want you to know that a strong relationship with God in Christ ought to be the priority of your life because everything else flows from this. Poor decisions, they flow from getting yourself distant from God and his word and his people. And if you stay close to the Lord and you build your relationship with him, and you surround yourself with other people who also want to honor him, then you can progress together in the direction that the Lord wants you to go. And I think about today how younger people are awash with influence from social media and regular media and the culture around them, and it's literally 24-7. And if there's not that strong framework of a relationship with, with the Lord and with strong teaching and discipling, then the influence of the world is going to win out. And if you're not walking with the Lord and surrounding yourself with other people who have a desire to do the same, then you're going to be led in a direction that's ultimately not going to be healthy or holy for you. So acknowledge the basic blessings that you have of family and church family and friends and 
opportunities to learn and opportunities to have fun and opportunities to enjoy the things that interest you. Make the most of those things and know that God wants you to be blessed and to honor him through those blessings. And as you do it, entrust the circumstances and the seasons of your life to God. Young person, ask God what he wants to do with your life right now. Don't worry too much about the seasons that are still to come. They're going to come. But ask the Lord, what do you want to do with me now? What is your purpose for my life now? There's a heavy burden often placed on young people to grow up so fast. I think about even when I was a a much younger person uh, and in those formative years, 30 years ago and more, and the difference in the speed of how young people are pressured to grow up today. And it is vastly different and the speed is increasing. And I would say that as the world moves at that fast pace, that the role of parents and the influence of a strong church and a student ministry is in part to lift the burden on young people while they're figuring things out and growing into who God wants them to be. And we need to provide youth with a framework to navigate life as it comes to faith in God and confidence in who they are. So what that says to me is that a student ministry in a local church ought to be a place of warm hospitality where there's a welcome to the young people. It ought to be a place where the truth is consistently taught and it's taught in love. A student ministry ought to be a place of high encouragement. There ought to be a high level of encouragement in student ministry. And there ought to be an abundance of grace. That's the type of culture that we want to grow in our student ministry. That's the kind of culture of a student ministry that can make a difference in young people's lives for the rest of their lives. So youth take life as it comes. And then the third instruction, I'm going to move along. Know that you are accountable for your life. Let's look at the last part of verse 9 and then verse 10. And there's a curious instruction here to follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Uh, And I say that's curious because uh, young people especially uh, today by the people around them are encouraged to follow their instincts and their emotions and their desires. And the heart is made into an idol to believe in in a sense. And if you're not very careful and you follow your heart in the way that the world wants you to follow your heart, you will get yourself in big trouble. After all, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it come the issues of life. David Hubbard wrote this. He said, obviously the wise man was not counseling a rebellious or a wild style of life when he told his students to walk in the ways of your heart. Lawlessness, wickedness, lewdness were as much out of bounds for him as of any of Israel's teachers. He said, take your full of life, do your best at what you do, live out each day to the hilt and work in love and in the enjoyment of God's good gifts. All of these are tangible, visible displays of God's grace. But know this, God will judge us as to whether or not we've made the most of them. Now, please note here, 
if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you will not be judged as it relates to your salvation. You will be judged as it relates to your stewardship of life. Your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you as a gift from God by faith in him. But you are accountable for how you live and the choices you make. So let me state it this way. Every choice that you make has a consequence. Every decision that you make has an end result. So make the most of your life. Take life as it comes. But take note of the warning that the preacher gives us. In light of our mortality, there's the reality of future judgment. And every one of us will be held accountable for our thoughts and our words and our actions. And even though life seems to be just endlessly going on in front of us, it's not really. There is a day of accounting coming. And that says we want to make good decisions now because we want to honor God. And we want to bless him and we want to be blessed by him. And if we have that type of perspective, we can know God and we can live for him. We, we will be compelled to live as disciples and have nothing to fear on that day of judgment because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So live in such a way, young people, that you won't be ashamed of decisions that you've made, that you'll be confident because you want to honor the Lord from your heart. And when you do things that aren't honoring to the Lord, you can know that the grace of God is super abundant and his patience and his mercy with you is far greater than you can even imagine, and his forgiveness is a measure of his grace. So what about the role of parents and the influence of a strong church and student ministry? It's to help students live in the now, but be prepared for eternity. Now, I was thinking about this this past week as I was uh, getting ready for this message, and I was thinking about the lengths that many parents and families go to in their investment in and their commitment to their children's education, their involvement in sports, their involvement in extracurricular activities and other things in life. And the thought that crossed my mind was all those things are morally neutral at, at worst as far as just what they are in and of themselves. They're to be enjoyed. They're fun. They're a blessing. They do many things to build our character and, and are just things that contribute to our lives. However, if we're putting our time and our energy in those things to the extreme, to the detriment of our children's spiritual development and our young people's growth and preparation for eternity... What have we really accomplished as parents and as families? Have we instead in some ways contributed to them being one of those statistics I started with this morning? That they didn't see their faith as active and living and their relationship with Jesus Christ as the priority of their life. And they had a lot of fun and they engaged in a lot of sports and a lot of activities and they got really smart and they might have got a really good job made a lot of money, but if that's to the detriment of them spiritually, then it's something we really need to think through. And I'm saying that to you parents 
not to criticize you, but to challenge you. I want you to think about how you're balancing these things in your life and in your home and in your family and to do an honest evaluation if you're leading your young people spiritually as God would want you to. Youth, you need to know that you're accountable for your life. Now come to the last part of the message and I will look at two verses in Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Look in verse 1, that's what he says specifically. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. And then look at verse 13. This is the summary statement of all summary statements. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. This is the end goal. You remember your creator in the days of your youth. You set the tone for the rest of your life. And then be sure that you fear God and you keep his commands, that you honor him. I want us to think just for a moment about our approach to student ministry in our church before I conclude. And as part of our uh, multi-generational ministry focus, uh, I'm very excited about the direction that our student ministry is headed in. Uh, Isaiah Pauly, our student pastor, is preparing both a new logo and ministry multiplication model that he's going to be rolling out uh, very soon to our leadership and then to our students as well. And the new logo is the Hill Students. Uh, so it's the Hill Student Ministry at Cross Lanes Baptist. So some of you have been around for a long time. You'll know that we had discussions of using the Hill concept as actually our primary uh, emphasis years ago. And then we ended up going in a little bit different direction. Uh, but it represents a new direction, and this completely replaces the vine. It's a new day. We're headed in, by God's grace, in a, in a new direction. And then the focus is on a multiplying model to disciple students and mobilize them to live on mission wherever and however God calls them. Now, you'll see on this multiplying model, and you're going to see it a lot more, uh, that uh, the emphasis is on the mission statement of making disciples from the hill to the valley and around the world. And uh, I'm really excited about what uh, Pastor Isaiah has done with this. Uh, you'll note that it starts with knowing God. Uh, that's both evangelism and discipleship. That's students coming to Christ as well as growing as disciples of Jesus. The primary ways that we're doing that in our church ministry is through Bible fellowship and then our primary gathering of the week uh, for worship and for instruction. And then the second part of it is sharing your life, uh, enjoying opportunities for community and for developing relationships. Uh, Pastor Isaiah has spent his summer doing a lot of this, uh, getting to know you, reaching out to parents, uh, having events that are a lot of fun for the students to be able to gather in and get to know one another a little bit more and uh, to have a good time and build that community. Uh, community in our student ministry and in our church is of central importance. Otherwise, we're disconnected and we're just coming here as a collection of people from different places and we don't have that common bond, but if we have the community, uh, then we can grow together. And then three, finding your place, uh, the importance of connecting and engaging in the life of the church uh, and helping students understand, young people understand that they've been gifted spiritually if they know Christ and that they can be involved in the church as part of that multi-generational ministry. Uh, 
And then uh, the fourth part of it is to live on mission, helping our young people serve God wherever they go and however God leads them. Now, we've been blessed that some of our younger people have gone away for a time and then God's brought them back. We got some really great servants that have come back into the life of the church through the years. But the reality that we know is real uh, and, and just a, a fact of life is that many leave when they, when they leave here. They go on to other uh, places and vocations and educational pursuits and so on. And the question is, what are we doing in our ministry to prepare them for that so that they live as disciples? So one, one of the first questions they ask when they go to university is not where's the party, but where's the Christian fellowship? Where are the disciples at? How can I be a part of that? Where's my family going to be as I serve Christ in the new location that, that he's put me in? So what do we need from students as we think through this, young people? We need your presence and we need your participation. You are not the church of tomorrow. That's wrong. You're the church of now. And you are of central importance to what we're doing in the church. And here's what I want you to know as your pastor. You are seen, you are loved, you are valuable to God, to your family, to us, and we want you to serve God however he leads you to serve him. We want you to be involved and to know that you are important to what God is doing in the life of this church. What do we need from parents? I'll tell you what we need. We need support and engagement. Parents, if you expect us as a ministry to help you disciple your kids and come alongside of you, remember, they're your kids. We are not claiming them as our kids. They will never be our kids. They are your kids. They belong to God ultimately, but they belong to you on this earth. We come alongside of you to help you be faithful in what God has called you to do. But if we only have occasional engagement from your students or from you as parents, it is incredibly difficult, if not almost impossible, to disciple them. You will not have a positive outcome from our ministry if you're engaging once a month, a couple times a month, or maybe even less than that. We're asking for commitment and engagement from you as families and as young people. And then what do we need from this church? We need the same things we've always had. Prayer, help, and investment. That's what we need. And this church has been so faithful to pray, to help, to give, to support the work. We have a lot of opportunities in front of us as it relates to our younger our younger generation, and we want to make the most of it. We don't, we don't want our young people to be statistics. We want them to be disciples. We, we don't want you to be a cautionary tale somewhere of what happens when students don't follow Jesus. We want you to be who God made you to be. That's why we're here, and that's what we want this culture to be like in our church, and you can help us in that, and God will bless you for it. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this church. Thank you for your word that shows us the significance of young people. There's so much life and energy and creative ideas and, and willingness to serve and 
all that goes along with, with being younger. And that brings vitality to a church. That, that brings an excitement to a church. So I thank you for every young person here, whether they be a, a university student or, or maybe even just getting started early in, in uh, their life and uh, in, in the things you're going to do in the future. Or maybe it's all the way down to those middle schoolers who are just trying to figure out what it means not to be a, a younger kid anymore, but to move into that, the, that uh, student stage. Lord, may each one know that they are seen, loved, valuable, and important to the mission of God. And I pray that we would take an interest in young people in this church, that our student ministry would be a place of warm hospitality. It would be a place of, of encouragement. It'd be a place where students can, can figure things out according to your word and your spirit. I thank you for Pastor Isaiah and for these uh, ideas that he's bringing and, and the things that he's laying in, putting into place and, and laying as a foundation and making as a framework for our church. And I just pray, Lord, that that would bring abundant fruit. Lord, it's in your hands. But I pray that the parents and the families that we have, that there would be a high level of engagement, there'd be commitment that they would be as concerned about the things of God as they are education and sports and extracurriculars and all the rest that world, the world has to offer to young people. And Lord, help parents have the wisdom on how to balance those things and to use them well in their homes. And Lord, help us to come alongside of both the young people and the families in our church and uh, be there for them uh, and help them through uh, both the joyful seasons of life that we celebrate together as well as the challenging and dark days that we all experience. So Lord, we give this time of close and commitment over to you and we ask that you work in it as you see fit. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.